Good evening. Um, to be honest, it's a good thing Barry didn't get up. Because. Um, um, oh, now he got up. Slight problem. Um, this, this morning, I, w I wasn't dressed like them. Um, I was dressed in something slightly different. Um, and I went home and got changed, only to come back and realise that. I think a memo went out that <laughs> I eventually got to turn up in the same white shirt Barry's got on, same blue jeans Barry's got on, and same brown boots that Barry's got on. Um, so we're not twins, <laughs> evidently. Um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> good evening. Um, so we start or we continue our series on Change Your World tonight. Um, but before we do that, I think it's good for us to pray. Um, dear God, we, your Holy Spirit is so evident here today. And Lord, we just pray that as we share your word and we look at how we can change the world that you've put around us, that our hearts will be open to you, that we'll hear what your Holy Spirit has got to say. <laughs> In Jesus' name. The wind of the Holy Spirit. Right, cool. Um, we're going to play a short game. Um, and it took me a while to come up with this title. Um, but we call it Guess the Logo. So um, the aim of the game, as you've probably guessed it, is to guess the logo. So I'm going to show you seven logos and I want you to shout out the names if you know them. Okay? Simple? Wicked. All right, so can we have the first one on the screen, please? Nike. Second one, please. Oh. I've not changed. All right, never mind. Arm and Hammer, yes. The next one, please. Apple. The next one, please. Sewing Gamble, yes. Next one. Next one. Fairy. It's conceived as a washing up for your house. <laughs> um, and the next one, please. Mozilla Firefox, yes. To be honest, I don't know why I put that one there. Maybe because I'm I like technology, but it's a bit boring. Um, but what do each of these have in common? They're all well-known brands that have specific characteristics that make them immediately identifiable without having all the details. So, for example, if I was to say to you, um, Procter & Gamble, what would you think of? You think of cleaning products, maybe personal hygiene, yeah? If I was to say Apple, what would you think of? There you go, a few things come to mind. Steve Jobs, iPhone, simplicity, minimalism. If I was to say Mercedes, what would you think of? Cars, German engineering, luxury vehicles. If I was to say to you Christian, what would you think? Turn with me, if you will, to John 13, verse 31. Um, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, but it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. And please forgive me. Um, I did take my high people tablets this morning, um, but the seems to have run out, hence why I'm sniffy. So 
Not because I got really, really bad manners. <laughs> it's because <laughs> maybe the top flap up again. John 13 and verse 31. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Thank you. And glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. You know, in this story, Jesus sat with his disciples. He had just washed their feet, which probably would have blown their minds um, because it's not, we're not in English society. We're not talking tarmac roads. We're talking dirt tracks, and they would have been walking all day long. So for what, what he did would have blown their minds. Then he goes on to predict that one of his disciples was going to betray him. And then essentially what he says is, I've been with you, I'm no longer going to be with you. People knew who you were because you were next to me. But a time is coming and has come when they will no longer identify you as followers of me or disciples of Jesus Christ because you're with me. There's a time coming and has come where they will identify you by how you are with one another. See, what strikes me about what Jesus says is what he places emphasis on. It's not what you say, but what you do. Not what you say you are, but who you show that you are. Not what you say you represent, but who you show that you represent. Jesus is essentially saying, and forgive me for a bit of a crude summary, but I'm trying to link it into the example I gave at the start, so forgive me. He's essentially saying, I'm Jesus Christ and I'm a brand. That is to say that in my time on the earth, people knew me wherever I went, yeah? They knew what you would get. They, would knew, they knew the impact that I had wherever I went, yeah? And now I'm going away. And the baton, as it were, is being passed on to you to represent what I stood for, to demonstrate what I demonstrated. You, as it were, are my sales representatives. You are the people that are going to carry on my name. You are the ones that I've chosen to represent the company. And the sole char characteristic that will identify you is not how elegant you speak, not how amazingly you can think of persuading people, but in the physical actions that you represent. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5, he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men and the power of God. Paul is essentially saying to the church in, in, the, in Corinth, 
It wasn't with what I said that I demonstrated who I was. But what I did and in how I acted. What you do will either pave or block the way for what you say. So I have a question. What do people know you for? Has the light of the gospel shone so brightly in your life that it radically changed you? To the point that people see you and know that there's something different about you. Does the life of God shine brightly through you or is there no difference between you and the non-Christians that you may be surrounded by? If you were to tell people that you were a Christian, would their response be one of shock or will the dots be connected? Jesus says that they'll know you as my disciples by the love you have for one another. Again, turn with me to Acts 2, verse 42 through to 47. I'm reading um, from the English Standard Version. As you're doing that, I'll give a little bit of background. This is a story that's commonly known as the day of Pentecost. Um, And essentially, the Holy Spirit came down on a gathering of Christians to the point that they began to speak in tongues. Now, when we speak of tongues, we're not talking like the Pentecostal way of tongues. What, in this passage, what we're talking about is the Holy Spirit manifested itself on these believers and they began to speak in foreign languages. So, for example, that would be the Holy Spirit moving me to the point that I began to speak in Mandarin or Urdu. And someone else who is a native speaker of Mandarin or Urdu understood exactly what I was saying. And when this happened, um, the locals that were in the area, they thought that they were drunk. Um, and what happens then is that Paul gets up among the, the gathering and he says, it's nine o'clock, mate. <laughs> They've either got a really, really bad habit or no, they're not drunk as, as you would suppose. This is the Holy Spirit. And Paul then gets up and preaches. Don't know if it's like this. I presume not. I guess he'd be on a, on a street somewhere <laughs> with loads of people around him. He gets up and preaches and the result of him preaching is 3,000 people being saved. And then we find ourselves in verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, fe- and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Through the apostles. (laughs) And all who believed were together and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, I love this verse because of what it doesn't say. See, it doesn't talk about the need to persuade and encourage people to meet together. It doesn't talk about the need to persuade or encourage people to give to a need that they could see. It doesn't speak of anything but that they devoted themselves to a culture and a way of being. I ask again, What do people know you for? 
See, these believers that are described in Acts 2 were all in. They had tasted and they had seen and they said that we're going to live a life. We're going to live life a new way. They were going to live a life according to the kingdom of the culture. Sorry, the culture of the kingdom. See, when Jesus says that they will know you for the love that you have for one another, he's talking about a distinguishable mark of a Christian. As it were, your unique selling point. As a Christian, what sets you apart? What demonstrates that you are what you say you are? He's talking about the culture of the kingdom. And there is, a, as a result, in this passage, it says that day by day, God was adding to their number. See, it was a demonstration of their faith and the way they lived that brought people in to the church day by day. And day by day, they were changing the world that they lived in. Not because of what they said, but because of what they did. You know, if you're going to change your world, you have to demonstrate an example. And that example has got to be of the kingdom of God. If you're going to impact the lives of those that are around you, you have to be different than everyone else. You have to. Invariably, if you work or if, I don't know, your, your day-to-day life means that you're surrounded with people that are not from the church, invariably you're surrounded by non-Christians. And the challenge is, do you blend in? Do you stand out? Not in the sense that you're this awkward person in the corner. Not, it's not that you're this, this weird person who, when everyone says something a bit different, you, you start cringing and, and you start judging people. But is there something different about you? You know, people show who they belong to or what their core values are all the time. You only have to look at someone long enough and you can tell what their core values are. For example, where I work, um, I'm surrounded by intellectuals and like you know all the time. For example, one guy who did a, a PhD in astrophysics and he's been cited, I think, 30 plus times. I don't know this because he mentions it all the time. <laughs> and yeah, it's great. And I res- applaud the fact that you did a PhD in astrophysics. However, I don't need to know it all the time. Anyway, <laughs> um, but question, what do you demonstrate? What do you communicate? You know, they say that 7% of our communication is verbal. And 93% is nonverbal. That says to me that the overwhelming percentage of what you communicate is done by what you do and not by what you say. It also tells me that you'll either support or undermine, sorry, what you say will either support or undermine what you do. I said earlier that you will either pave or block the way for what you say. What do people know you for? Do you identify with your geographical culture first and foremost? So, for example, do you identify with being British? or African, or Liverpudlian, or, or a Mancunian, first and foremost? Or, do 
you identify with your spiritual gifts? And by that I mean, have you taken on and are displaying the culture of the kingdom? You know, it's vitally important that we allow the culture of the kingdom to dictate how we work out our earthly culture and not the other way around. Because there are ways things are done in England, for example. There are ways things are done in, for argument's sake, Africa. And you can either use those to, to interpret the words of the scripture or you can allow scripture to interpret how you live out your daily life. And it's something that I always talk about with people I know and it's, it's important that we get it the right way around. Because if we spend our time living out scripture the English way, or living out scripture the African way, what happens invariably is that we then twist the words of scripture. Because ultimately, when you come to a crossroads between scripture and your culture, because your culture dictates scripture, culture is going to win out every time. Whereas if we allow what we know in the scripture to dictate how we do culture, when we get to that crossroads, the, the scripture is going to win out every time. And if we're Christians, it's important that scripture wins out every time. And so when you get to that crossroads, what will the outcome be? If we are going to change our world, if we're going to impact the world that we live in, it's crucial that we demonstrate the culture of the kingdom. And primarily, Jesus has said, this will be done by love. You know, it, it sounds airy, it sounds mushy and soft, and if you're anything like me who doesn't do um, soppy very well, it can be somewhat cringy. I'll be honest. But, you know, love isn't actually soppy. Love isn't actually mushy and sweet and cuddly. Yeah, there's, there, there, there may be aspects to that. But, Love will demand that you decide not to fight a handle when being attacked. Love will demand that you stand up for people that are being marginalized. Love will demand that you give of your time and give of your life more than you would have or would have wanted to. You know, the passage that we begin with tonight, John 13, it's, it starts with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. He was demonstrating something there. He was demonstrating that love will demand that you humble yourself, get down and dirty, get in the muck, and do what it takes to be there for those that are around you. Plain and simple. It would have blown their minds because to, to them, the disciples, Jesus was in charge. It would have blown their minds because in that society, and I guess to some extent even today, there's, there's a hierarchy of, of people and persons. And so to the disciples, Jesus was right at the top. And absolutely, if you're at the top, you don't wash people's feet. Because what that means is, you're getting down on your knees, you're in the dirt, cleaning people's feet. Invariably, when Jesus stood up, he would have been covered in the dirt that he just washed, washed off their feet. And if you're at the top, in that society, you do not do that. But Jesus was demonstrating that, no, in the kingdom, things will be the other way around. If you're going to be something, you have to demonstrate what, what it is.
you're going to say something and proclaim something, you have to demonstrate that thing. And in the kingdom, love wins out every time. And what love looks like is not what we'd expect. It's not what we see in the movies. It's not what the picture that is painted for us on a day-to-day basis. It's down and dirty, getting in the muck, sacrificing where you wouldn't have wanted to sacrifice, spending the time that you would not have wanted to spend because you've got other things to do. But I ask you again, what do people know you for? And is your life characterized by love? For you to change your world, for us to change our world, we first and foremost going to have to let go of our sense of entitlement. You're going to have to let go of any notion of what you do and don't deserve. Because often you won't get what you deserve anyway. But you will still have to show love. In the face of what you would consider disrespect. In the face of what you would consider ignorance. Or in the face of abuse sometimes. In the face of taunting. People dragging your name through the mud. You will still have to show love. Now, what that looks like might change with wisdom, absolutely, but you will still have to demonstrate the love of Christ. Has anyone heard of um, the story of Mr. Cruz? So he he has a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, and if you can get hold of it, please do. It's a really, really great read. Really, really great read. Um, Nicky Cruz was born in in the late 1930s, and by the age of three, as described, his heart was already turned. He was down and dirty. He was a rough guy. Well known for being a gang leader and just just not a nice guy. Um, One day, a preacher named Dave Wilkerson came into his life. Dave Wilkerson came into his life to win Nicky for the Lord. There were countless times, if you read this story, where Nicky and his gang would beat up the preacher, oftentimes to the point of death. Now, full disclosure, it was me. A couple of times I'm trying to take someone down and making sure that if if I'm going down, you're coming down with me. And if it happened once, I probably wouldn't be there again. But... Dave Wilkerson persisted, and he continued to show Nicky Cruz the love of Christ. And eventually, it was his actions, his persistence, and love that won Nicky Cruz to Christ. And Nicky Cruz went on to be a well-known preacher and evangelist, again, winning many, many souls to God. What do people know you for? See, loving others will demand that you let go of your feelings. It will demand that you put your emotions on the back burner and you do what God would have you do. 
I say that, I'm conscious that it could come across as I'm saying that your feelings or what you feel or what you've experienced is irrelevant. It's not at all. I'm looking at it like that. But I am saying that if we're going to change our world, we're going to have to demonstrate the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ for one another and ultimately for the world. And there will be times when you have to suck it up and get on with it. doesn't mean that you have to live a fake existence and and act as if everything's okay and that, that you're all sort of got together hold hands in the church and that's going to come by us it doesn't mean that that's what you demonstrate i struggled with hearing that <laughs> but what it does mean is that we don't allow our feelings to get in the way of the fact that we should love one another it's tough not easy and many times I can even think of cues now where I'm like dude you need to just love your mate you need to turn me off you need to just can even be with family members I'm thinking of a particular situation now um, I'm just like listen you lot have shown too many times how you feel and where you feel and Again, full disclosure, my my current stance, well, technically it shouldn't be because this is what I'm preaching. <laughs> my current stance is that's not me. I knew that was me from the get-go. Adopted, adopted and offered up this, this message. But you know, love, the love of Christ demands that I do something different to love someone irrespective of what they show me and how they treat me and my family I will still have to love them the way that I would naturally love them and they may change they may not yeah but you still have to love them see the world teaches us that we are of utmost importance and we're number one the world teaches us to place ourselves at the centre and that everything else comes after you. Isn't that how the kingdom works? Sacrificial love is the culture of the kingdom. Laying your life down for those next to you. Those in front of you, those behind you. Look around. Sacrificial love means that you lay your life down for the community of believers that we are. And you won't be able to do that until you know that person. You won't be able to do that until you are in genuine relationship with them. You won't be able to do that until you look at that person next to you and you see the image of God. Why? Because that isn't what we've been taught. We've been taught to place ourselves at the center of our, of our, of our world and our existence. We are the most important. That's what the world teaches us. But we've, if we're going to win this world, if we're going to change Warrington, if we're going to transform the world that we live in, we're going to have to do it. And we're going to have to do it through love. So I ask again, what do people know you for? And if it's not for the way in which you treat people, if it's not in the way in which you live your life, then we need to make a change. 
And Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples for the love that you have for one another. And again, I'm not talking about putting on a facade. And so if that isn't you, if you're not able to demonstrate that love to those around you, we need to change. And as Romans 12 verse 2 says, we need to renew our minds so that we can know what God's will is. And God's will is that we lay down our lives for those that are around us. And it's that that will demonstrate the love of God. So let's get real and let's get practical. As the body of Christ, we must model the life and person of Jesus Christ. If individually we're called to be more and more like Christ, which means we're Christ-like and we, our lives demonstrate who Christ is, then the natural consequence of that is that as a body of believers, we will model the life and person of Jesus Christ. So what will it look like? Things about Jesus. Number one, sacrifice. We talked about it already. You're going to have to sacrifice something, whether it's time, whether it's your status, whether it's money. Whether it's not being able to give on that per- up on that person that you wanted to. We talked about it already. But you're going to have to sacrifice. Maybe that person never responds to text messages. Maybe any time you try to reach out to them, you get nothing back. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure you get the chance really to write that person off on a text message. Because if you think about it, how long was God turning your heart? How long was God showing you? What then puts us in a position where we can neglect someone else because we don't want to text message them every third month? You're going to have to speak the truth. You're going to have to speak the truth to one another. See, it's easy to think that we can, that when we talk about loving one another, Again, we just mean being happy, clappy, and snappy, and ethereal people that that get around in circles and become really famous. But that honestly couldn't be further from the truth. You know, community is messy. If anyone's part of a family or a, a large family, it can be messy. Human beings are messy people. And sometimes it's going to take you calling out sin as you see it according to scripture, in order to bring community, you have to speak the truth. Speaking truth is just as much about being honest about where you are. So, you know that sort of standard response when you see someone, oh mate, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Good. How's your week been? Fine. Fine. When really, you're a wreck and you've had the worst, no possible week. Now, what I'm not saying is, Anyone that asks you, 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 you give them a full old down of every, right, on Monday at 10.01, you won't believe what happened to me. And Tuesday, no, I'm not talking about that. But what I do mean is, yeah, it's been a difficult week actually. But you know what, you've got to mate, don't you? Being honest. You will have, naturally, you will have a group of people that you're naturally a lot closer with. It's absolutely fine. That doesn't mean that everyone else gets, gets to be lied to. Because, again, it's not culturally acceptable that you share everything with everyone else. It's a creepy thing. I don't want to know your life story, mate. Well, one, don't ask the question. (laughs) 
but you're going to have to move past a bog standard answer with, yeah, I'm fine. You're going to have to move past surface level conversations. It's easy to have surface level conversations and you're with the same people for five, maybe ten years and you know nothing more about them than I used to work for this company, that's why. Or she's into this, I'm into that. This is all you're going to sit with surface level. But if we're going to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ, it's going to have to move past the love. And the third thing we're going to have to do is spend time with one another. You know, as I, as I say this, I'm convicted because I miss, I've missed the last few men's meetings. Um, not be <laughs> and it's not because I didn't want to be there. It's just because of lack of planning on my, on my part not putting it in the diary. So I was walking into church today and I thought, wait, <laughs> start of the month. Saturday's gone. It's Sunday. And it might just mean you've got to get practical and put things in your diary. Find the way that you will remember. Spend time with those that are around you. Spend time with, with, with brothers in the men's meeting. But get involved in the life of the church. It's important. Um, where am I trying to go with this next bit? You see, being the community of believers that we're talking about here will require effort. It will require you to move out of your comfort zone. But it's going to be worth it. Why? Because God designed us for us to live that way. Yeah? We weren't created to live in isolation. And again, it's easy for us to lose that way because naturally you're inclined to keep yourself to yourself and be in your little bubble. And when things are going a certain way, unless you've got your nearest and dearest with you, what you then need to do is seek to get together and isolate yourself. But when you look at scripture, when you look at the, the body of Christ in scripture, they're in community, sharing life. You know that pastor talked says that they gave as they saw a need. They were selling their possessions and giving to those that were in need. That speaks of community to me. That speaks of people that were so intrinsically woven together that it didn't bother them to spend of their time. It says to me that there were different people within that community, to people that had stuff that they could sell, and obviously people that didn't and were in situations that they needed support. But ultimately, it's a community of people doing life together. And there was joy in doing it. I don't read that they were coerced or twisted. It, they did it because they saw the need. You're in this situation. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I love you. And so I'm going to do this for you regardless. My demonstration will dictate how people receive my proclamation. Your demonstration will dictate how people receive your proclamation. Our demonstration will dictate how people receive our proclamation. Because ultimately, we're gonna, we, we should be sharing the gospel. We should be sharing the gospel with those around us. 
if at that point when you do share the gospel, your life would be nothing like what you're going to you're speaking about. Yes, faith will the gospel is the power of salvation. It's basically mean that it's the gospel that we share that will save people. Yes, that's important. But ultimately, you could be the reason it takes five years for someone to come to Christ instead of instead of like five minutes or whatever. See, let them see and know that you're followers of Christ. And when the time comes and we share our faith, let it be that our actions have already opened the door for our words to be.